Hello. Hello. Hi, I'm Amy Axelson, joined by my mom, Barb Axelson, and this is Juvenile Svengali. <laughs> and it yes. starts with this parrot. And a green parrot was swinging on a perch in a cage by the door. I mean, how much do you love? Have some fun with us and join us in our search for what happened to my mom's grandfather. Welcome to Juvenile Svengali's, where we find out what happened to Byron Wadsworth Culver, Princeton graduate, successful businessman, asylum inmate, and Juvenile Svengali. Have you ever wondered what happened to a missing relative? You know those stories that get mumbled over or waved off? I, 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 I'm, I'm looking at this article and Amy... Last time article. on Juvenile Svengali's. The city, it ought to be remembered, is partial to that sort of performances and has a record in hypnotism that is not so brief that it is apt to be forgotten. Both boys attended the performance of Santinelli and they appear to have procured some literature. I'm telling Amy that I discovered that the 7th Ward School was established in the summer of 1897, so it was barely a few months old when all of this happened. Oh, brand new. Deny the charges. On this episode of Juvenile Svengali's, a hypnotic green parrot, the Vitapathic Institute, an abduction, and a possible double murder. We're actually going to go to Eau Claire. I'm so excited about this. Does Mabel Briggs, who could be related to my mom's great-grandmother, Ella Briggs, have anything to do with Byron Wadsworth Culver's interest in hypnotism and why he ended up in an insane asylum? Let's figure this out. Is is just absolutely amazing. It's from the Savannah Morning News on December 18th, 1894. Let's meet the parrot, Dr. Pickin, and the Vitapathic Institute. I'm looking at this article, and Amy, this article, and this, this thing got me. It's bananas. So the, the title of this article is, Was She Hypnotized? Eau Claire is one of the most substantial towns in northwest Wisconsin. Most of its 20,000 inhabitants are concerned in one way or another in the great lumbering interests, the foundries, factories, or mills, which make it a humming business place. The men are of the hard-headed, practical, common-sense sort who make such enterprises successful. They have little time to give to the consideration of the mysteries of occultism and less inclination to believe in such things. But for weeks, Eau Claire has been stirred by a criminal charge preferred against two of its citizens by a young woman who bases her accusation on the allegation that these men accomplished her ruin solely by means of the hypnotic influence over her which they possessed and exercised. Edna Mabel Briggs is the daughter of Joseph Briggs, an Englishman who had lived in Eau Claire for years. He is an engineer at the City Waterworks frugal and thrifty, and has accumulated a comfortable property. His daughter is not yet 17 years of age. She is a bright, pretty girl with black hair and eyes and the glow of healthy blood in her cheeks. Her manner is vivacious and attractive. She has attended the public schools of Eau Claire and was to have entered the high school in September. This is the story which she told to District Attorney Frolio which led to the arrest of Dr. J.W. Pickin and his son, Azagal. So this is from Savannah, Georgia, right? Yeah, yeah. So this, so, is, this is big news, national news. One afternoon in June of this year, while Miss Briggs was out for a ride on her bicycle, she passed the Vitapathic Institute, as Dr. Pickin called his office. Dr. Pickin was sitting in front of the Vitapathic Institute, 
and a green parrot was swinging on a perch in a cage by the door. Hello, shouted the parrot as she passed. Now this part's interesting. I want to know where she was going. She turned to reply, and her eyes met those of the doctor. Neither spoke, and she rode on. It had been her intention to ride on down the street, but at the first side street, she felt an irresistible impulse to turn off. Following this impulse, she was soon in front of the Vitopathetic Institute again. She called to the parrot, and the bird answered her. Dr. Pickin looked on, but did not speak. Nor did she speak to him. She rode by the place several times, all the while wanting to go somewhere else, but unable to do so. It was only by a supreme effort of will that she was able at last to keep on down the street. She had never spoken to Dr. Pickin, although he had lived in Eau Claire for years, and she knew well who he was. So why I sent this to you was because in the Juvenile Svengali article, they start talking about, oh, blah, 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 Mabel Briggs case. Right. And I'm like, well, what's with the Mabel Briggs case? And the, the Briggs caught my attention because, what is it, your great-grand-grandmother? Um, my great-grandmother, before she married David Drummond, her name was Briggs. That night she could not sleep, and it was almost impossible for her to remain in bed. She felt all the time a strange inclination to get up and go to Dr. Pickin's house. Immediately after eating her breakfast in the morning, she did go. She chatted with the doctor for a few minutes and then went home. So, so I, I, we I, don't I, know yet. We don't know yet, but I got a hunch that they There's are some... some kind of cousins or something. After that, she went frequently to his house. She met Azagal Pickin there, and he, in turn, began to visit her at her own home under the pretext of taking music lessons. Miss Briggs plays several stringed instruments, and young Pickin is something of a singer. He went to Miss Briggs to learn some accompaniment. Yeah. Right. We have no direct, but when they live around the block. Alma Leonard, a tall and slender girl of 15, whose father is a wealthy lumberman of Eau Claire, is Miss Briggs' most intimate girlfriend. She was frequently at Mabel's house during the time that young Pickin was visiting there. There these young people practiced hypnotism. They developed considerable skill in it and could place one another under hypnotic influence, even bringing on a cataleptic condition. This, it appears that there's a, a, a proximity. There, I, I think there has to be some relationship there. Yeah, great, And if there's great. not, it's still weird. Yes, yes, absolutely. The other, I, you know, you want to pick a rabbit hole. Pickin was the one who began this amusement, and he taught both the girls. Before we go down that rabbit hole, uh, one of the perpetrators of this, uh, alleged perpetrator of this possible crime, uh, was a, a member of the Vitopathic Institute. The Vitopathic and Institute is like, I mean, let's just start there. Okay, so. One day in July, when the two girls were out for a walk, they met Dr. Pickett. He placed them under hypnotic influence and directed them to go to the Wisconsin Central Station. There they boarded a train for Chippewa Fall. He went to Miss Briggs to learn some accompaniment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He was 21, right? Right. Yeah. So she's, all... she's not yet 17. Right. They boarded a train for Chippewa Falls. Which was about came... 12, mi 12 miles away. The weird thing, okay, first of all, what this is about, it's, it's a kidnapping case. Okay, let's be clear. 
like this girl and her friend were kidnapped. He came into the car and gave them each a ticket. Neither of the girls wanted to go to Tower Falls. Each earnestly desired to go to her home, but they were entirely controlled by Dr. Pickin and were entirely without personal will. And it's a sensational trial that's about to begin in Eau Claire, and this predates. So this is in 1894, and the Byron's article was written in 1897. And they tied these two events in the, in the sense that they were hypnotized, but there's a couple more parallels. Dr. Pickin sat in the same car with them all the way to Chippewa Falls, but did not speak to them. At Chippewa Falls they went, still under the control of Dr. Pickin's influence, to a dive to which he directed them. The doctor followed them all the way, and part of the time, two other men followed. Two other men followed. So, the accused here is Dr. Pickin, who runs the Vitapathic Institute. They were prevented from entering the dive by the vehement protests of the inmates. Dr. Pickin then willed that they should return to Eau Claire, and they did so, telling their parents that they had been at dinner with Miss Briggs' Sunday school teacher, a Miss Cady. This falsehood was discovered, but they explained it being under Dr. Pickin's influence. So much for the first part of Miss Briggs' story. As to the facts of the second part, there is no question. On August 31, the entrance examinations of the high school were held. Mabel Briggs dressed herself with special care that morning and left the house ostensibly to take the examinations. She returned at noon and told her parents that she had passed and that school would begin on September 4. On that day she left her home and apparently started for school. She returned at noon, got her dinner, and went away. She did not return. Her father went to the police, and a general search was made. Posses of citizens aided the police, and all the suburbs of Eau Claire were examined. The hunt was kept up all night and all the next day without success. Late that night, a policeman who was watching the Pickin house saw Mabel Briggs and Azigal Pickin coming up an alley in the rear. He took charge of the girl and started with her to her father's house. Young Pickin went into his own house. They were prevented from entering the dive. Who's they? They were prevented from entering the dive by the vehement protests of the inmates? A Miss Caddy. This falsehood was discovered, but they explained it being under Dr. Pickin's influence, along with his son. What on earth? Before the policeman had gone far, he met Mr. Briggs. And it's the stuff in the New York Sun. So wait, there's a New York Sun article on this too somewhere. The engineer spoke to his daughter in a severe tone and asked her where she had been. She did not reply. But it appeared in the New York Sun prior to this. So this is a national news story. That angered him and he slapped her. Sure, this, uh, this must be like a syndicated version of it. The girl seemed to struggle to speak and finally exclaimed, Little Niagara. She's saying that she was her ruin which we, I'm assuming, means, at this point, I'm assuming means sexually assaulted. Is that what you're for? That's what I get out of it, yeah, yeah. Her father took her home and sent for Dr. E. H. Parker, the family physician. Dr. Parker thought at first that the girl had been drugged. She made several efforts to speak, but apparently was unable to do so. Dr. Parker knows something about hypnotism. 
and when Miss Briggs did not respond to his ordinary treatment, he suspected that she was under such influence. And which led to the arrest of Dr. J.W. Picken and his son, Asagal. Dr. Herbert Flint of Chicago, an expert in hypnotism, was sent for. He came and hypnotized Miss Briggs, and while under his influence, she told where she had been and what had happened to her. As to these facts, there is no dispute. What Mabel told is to be proved or disproved at the trial of the two men, which begins in Eau Claire on Monday. This is her story. So let, 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 let's back up here and speculate. Yeah. Yes. So, um, so far, my idea is either um, she was completely taken advantage of in one or, respect or another, right. um, or she made the whole thing up. These are That's the, what the I'm alternatives. So far. But at this time, it was booming. It was a boom town. Right. And Which, it, it was... It was part of the, the upper Midwest lumber boom. When she left her home on the morning of August 31 to take her examination, she was met by Azagal Piggin, who hypnotized her and detained her in the west side park until noon, when he sent her home and told her what to say to her parents. Is attorney, district attorney Frawley, or Fralu? Frawley. Frawley. It is Frawley. They, they misspelled it here. Again, on this morning of September 4th, when she started ostensibly for school, she met young Pickett. Again, he hypnotized her and kept her in the park until noon. He released her then and sent her home. In the afternoon, she wanted to go to school, but Azagal Pickin met her and took her to his house. She stayed at Dr. Pickin's house until 11 o'clock that night. In the evening, three young men called and stayed until after 10 o'clock. She played and sang for them and was there when they left. In this respect, their story corroborates hers. And that they did that by hypnotizing her. Dr. J.W. Picken and his son, A.S.I.G.L. Asagal? Asagal. Asagal. Yes. All the time these three young men were at Dr. Picken's house, Miss Briggs greatly desired to go home, but she was unable to do so. And she was so completely under the Pickin influence that she could not even tell the boys of her predicament. After they had gone, Dr. Pickin subjected her to a further hypnotic test, as a result of which she lost all desire except to obey his wish. So weird. Okay. So this is what they say that she says. This is what the newspaper says that she said. Yes. After that, Azagal Pickin took her to a lonely place about half a mile from the Pickin home, known as Little Niagara. There she was detained all night and the following day and evening. While she was at Little Niagara, young Pickin went to Eau Claire and brought back food and brandy, of which she partook. What the heck is a Vitapactic Institute? Well, okay, wait, and pause for a rabbit hole here. I rabbit hole up. time. <laughs> rabbit hole time. So there's this whole thing started by John Bunyan Campbell and okay. and um, guys a quack. Okay, so it's okay. it's a religious slash electrical thing, and it has. Uh, you ever see on Antiques Roadshow they have these weird electrical things that are on wooden things, and you'd hook them up to people. Mm -hmm. In I'm agreeing, but 
I don't really watch Antiques Roadshow that much. I don't know why I said yes. You know how you just agree with people while you're talking to them? I don't know why I did that. Sorry about that. I have no idea what she's talking about. In the uh, uh, late uh, 19th century, and it would have cured them. So it's a quackery, complete quackery. But it's well, got a little r religious flair to it, and it's a big thing at that time in the Midwest. I brought home this book. It's super interesting, kind of when electricity kind of started out. Yeah. So they had full kind of entertainment kind of part of it. And it's also around the time of um, Frankenstein. So Mary Shelley, and there's a, a real, so in 1803, okay, so this is maybe like 93 years before this, they had a real corpse reanimator. So the whole idea of Frankenstein was actually a there was a re, a guy who actually took a dead body in 1803 george forster he took a, a, a dead body laid it out on a cold slab in front of a bunch of like doctors or something and he put electrodes he attached to these cells consisting of two opposedly charged metal plates immersed in acid and the electrical current entered the the body and many different ways shall we say george forster took an electric rod and stuck it up the corpse's anal cavity, just so you're clear. And okay. the face grimaced in ag ag agony, the eyes blinked, and it kind of like charged up, and the heart started beating, right? Oh. Oh, no, no, the chest heaved up and down, faster and faster, but just as suddenly the body lay motionless. So there was this kind of like thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the yeah. the organ would not beat. That's what happened, the organ would beat. So there was kind of this kind of um, optimism, I guess you would say, that electricity, which was newer at the time, uh -huh. had uh -huh. some kind of, you know, magic power. Right. On the second evening, they started for home. When they reached the town, they became aware of the search that was going on. They entered the West Side Park and were stealing along in the shadow of the trees when Miss Briggs saw her father. She knew he was looking for her and tried to call him to attract his attention. But Azigal Picken so controlled her that she could not make a sound. At his command, she laid herself down in the grass with him, and she saw her father pass within twelve feet of where she lay and was unable to do anything to attract his attention. When he was out of sight, Picken told her to get up, and they went on to Eau Claire. They would do these, like, health institutes, kind of promoting, you know, electricity and, and, and health, right? Yes, and they'd throw a little uh, religion into it, just create this sort of faux religion slash medical uh, aura, and people are always looking to to connect with their lost loved ones and it just is uh it was a perfect thing for that time mm -hmm. you know it was for for, for these times and in the, in the midwest and the upper midwest people are making money and then they're losing everything and right there's uh, a lot of fires around that time it looks like too life is hard life is hard right circumstances were just ripe for this kind of thing to be acceptable you know that that normal everyday people looked at this and thought okay all right let's try this and that's what this guy did and um so i'm not real sure if doctor if dr J.W. Picken was a medical doctor in any way. My mom and I start on our road trip to Eau Claire, Wisconsin. 
Before we go to Eau Claire, we're going to stop at the Marshfield Cemetery and we fall in love with the Marshfield Cemetery. We're driving to um, Eau Claire, we're driving to Marshfield. And I just want to tell you, Mom, if you want to get buried, like, this is the place to do it because they have like interactive maps at the, at the Marshfield Cemetery and you call them and they call you back and they give you all kinds of directions. And they're friendly. And they're friendly and they give you QR codes. Yeah. She's like, oh yeah, you got a QR code on the map. Yeah. And then you just take the cell phone and it helps you get around. My accent's kicking in. Little old Eau Claire. Yeah. Go past the Jesus statue. Third driveway, about left, turn left, off the road, on the corner. Should be fun. All right. On our way episode of Juvenile Svengali's. So this this is actually uh, her telling the newspaper's version of her version of what happened to her alleged abduction. Scott Bolden, who in the whoever was this guy? But there's a couple more parallels. Suddenly no longer exists either. The Vitapathic Institute. The, um, the fault there is that that journalist needed to ask Lum what his real name was. A hypnotic green parrot, an abduction, and a possible double murder. Because you're saying that that wasn't his actual name. I'm saying that that wasn't his actual name. Join us as we uncover what happened to my mom's grandfather in the bizarre world and colorful cast of characters we discover in the most unlikely of places, the Gilded Age of Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Thank you for listening to Juvenile Svengali's. We hope to see you next time. A special thank you to Mark Lynn, TF. Music by Jason Shaw of Audionautics.com. Simon Sounds, Dude Awesome, and Frankie of Freesound.org. Thank you for listening to Juvenile Svengali's. This is Amy Axelson. And I'm Barb Axelson. And this is Juvenile Svengali's. Juvenile Svengali's is written, edited, and produced by Amy Axelson. If you want to see Santinelli's pamphlet that he passed out to the boys, visit us at www.juvenilesvengalis.com or visit us on Instagram at juvenilesvengalis and Facebook, juvenilesvengalis. Okay, thanks for listening. Bye.